What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Masters of Sport podcast. I'm here with Earl Kunkel, two-time world champion, co-author of the year. Hi, Earl. Soon to be three. Back off. What's up, Dane? <laughs> I'm, uh, you know, I'm excited to talk Why? about this podcast because uh, you don't lift really heavy. No, not anymore. And you're, you're... I can basically, I can almost clean what I used to be able to snatch consistently <laughs> like that's to put it in perspective I mean, dude to be fair like cl- i mean even if i think about like 125 clean i'm like dude dude Haley jerked 121 today and she missed 123 and i looked at jake i'm like yo 121 that's really heavy if i put that on my chest like that's heavy yeah she's super strong that's all right she's stronger than me right. that's obvious we'll yeah. leave that one alone yeah, i mean you're a pathetic person um, that was cruel. That was cruel. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You're not a pathetic person. I, really. That was really. I don't cool. actually believe that. Oh, man, now now I feel I feel hurt, Dane. I feel hurt. I'm gonna have to get my feels out during this. We're gonna be talking about heavyweights versus lightweights. So that's why we were talking about that. I guess to begin with, right? Yeah. Because I lift lightweights and you, I lift heavyweights. To I'm not lock out though, you don't lock With out. Zero lockout, correct? No lockout. We found that out. Um, your boy called you out on it. Yes, Don. Don. All right, heavyweights versus lightweights. So I don't know. You always think a strong right Jason, means. When we talk about this. Can you get a behind the scenes of this of the uh, when I'm explaining the experiment? Uh, Just. Yeah. You always think of like strong means heavier, right? Like if you're stronger, there's more weight on the bar. You're lifting more weight. Like that's how you do it. And typically that's pretty correct. Yeah. But at the same time, like you could go lighter and move the weight so much faster. Yep. It demonstrates strength as well, I would think. Like, there's that blast impulse. But there's also this idea that going lighter can get the job done as well for you getting stronger. Like it's not always 90% plus and like in the end that may actually have a detriment potentially too so you can probably wager that both have benefits like in some capacity some way can you elaborate to start us off like heavyweights why do heavyweights work so why would heavyweights work to me i mean not just to me but also to research the reason why heavyweights work is there's going to be an improvement in neural drive so an improvement in coordination if my nervous system learns how to coordinate more effectively. Now I'm going to be able to, to do this with heavier weights. So if I do a you know, 90 kilo bench and I only do a double, my nervous system learns how to coordinate more effectively because of that, especially with novice lifters. And then I might be able to do 95 kilos the next time. The other reason why, <clears throat> if I'm using heavier weight, you're going to see mechanical tension, mechanical, you know, mechanical overload, where we'll actually have weight on our body and our body then starts to adapt from that specific weight to make sure that we can do it in the future. And we'll also potentially have muscular damage. So if we're doing uh, like a set, you know, a double or a triple with, you know, 90% of our max and we're going through an eccentric load with control, we might have some muscle damage, which then in turn leads to hypertrophy or gaining strength. So it's that would be the three ways, the three examples that I would say heavyweight would, would factor That's in. That's why heavyweight. So when you do heavyweights, right? Are you using the heavyweights in like your absolute strength movements, your tech coordination movements? Like where are you using them within your program, if you will? Like, okay. 
So what I what I like to do too is going back to you know we assess an athlete, we look at where they're strong, we look at where they're weak, and we might say, hey, this individual lacks blast impulse, or they they lack uh, even just some type of absolute strength relative to their explosiveness. So if I said, all right, well they lack blast impulse or sustained impulse, well now I'm going to look at that and say, okay, if they can improve the amount of force they, that they produce in a short period of time, that's impulse. I want to use heavier weights. Uh, at a higher speed so i want them to lift heavy weights fast that's where we're going to go into like speed strength training yeah you know absolute strength um if we have somebody who's is this someone with like a that person you just described before we'll say like 36 inch vertical leap yeah squats 300 pounds yeah 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 that's a good (laughs) great example absolutely perfect example and now it's like all right well let's raise their ceiling even more Try and get them to squat 405 pounds, and maybe their vertical stays the same, but there's more, there's a more, a larger pull or a larger pool of their strength characteristics that are now at an elite level. Yeah. You, you, so you have the trip, like if you're D&D or something like that, or video games and you're building a character out, yep. the attributes get wider on that, like little graph. Yeah. The bar gets bigger across the top of the yeah, screen. You, you know, more points in that. Exactly. Max HP. Yes. That's a really actually easy example for take, a lot of people. Take to all the visualize. hits. Take all the hits. All yeah. right. So heavyweights, absolute strength. I heard. Do, do you consider technical coordination movements like the clean and snatch heavyweights, or do they end up being more lightweights because they're so dynamic, so fast with the speed strength stuff? Mm, that's a good question. I I would say it depends on how fast they're moving specific loads like measurable but i would say anything over 85 percent is still gonna be heavy all right so when we're talking about heavyweights versus lightweights it becomes relative is what i yeah. heard in that statement yeah like so if we're doing 85 percent of our max clean it's heavyweight even if it's i don't know i clean 100 kilos i'm doing 85 kilos it's still, still heavyweight heavy. absolutely it's always relative within the percentages so we'll take that clarity going forward with heavyweight percentage over what where should we make that demarcation about 82 to 85 percent okay somewhere in there all right so let's go the other side of things we're going light so automatically we're under 82 percent now yeah i would say there's going to be like a, a gray area between 70 and 80 percent it's probably okay not so light. that's like the greater than or equal to yeah or less it's than like, equal to for my math di- people yeah dynamic not necessarily light moderate and then below 70 percent would be light Okay, and that window gets huge, right? Mm-hmm. So how light? Now, I want to okay. make this point. <laughs> if I have a well-trained athlete, 75% is light. Okay, so okay. Let's, you know, let's use Nick Singleton as an example. 70, 75% of his clean is light. Like, he would know mentally, like, okay, I'm coming up to 130. I'm going to toy this. Uh-huh. 75% for an intermediate or novice athlete is still freaking heavy for like not freaking heavy, but it's still heavier. Got it. You know, whereas the more elite you get when like you do a drop set of cleans, if you work up to 160, you do drop sets at 130. That that feels yeah. light because 75% now because you're a better athlete, it is light. So that does that does need to be sort of substantiated, especially so with light the elite can be level. what feels light has a play in this then too yes so yes. There, there's almost like this i don't want to say Your there's perception a mind thing. changes yeah reality changes when you're a lot better of an athlete yeah 
makes sense with a lot more experience you feel certain things and you can yeah you're like ah, oh, this isn't bad i can you know can the difference with. yeah where when you are not as well trained it feels heavy yeah <laughs> like, and i think even though it shouldn't <laughs> the, not to get off task of the initial what we're talking about light right versus heavy but the sooner we can get athletes in high school to realize that 75 percent isn't heavy the better they are as athletes because now when they're taking hits, when they're doing things at high speed on a regular basis, when they're doing repetitive movements over six minutes for a high school wrestler, it 75% is a joke. Yeah. You know, but if it takes longer, it's, you know, to get them there, then, it, then they're, you know, that's where they're, they aren't, they're not as skilled. So that 75% still feels right. Heavy. Right. All right. So back to the lightweights. Yeah. 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 Sorry. Anything we have the gray area, yep. but we're, we'll say anything under once you get in the sixty percent and lower. That's light. How low can you actually go? It depends on the lift, but I would say you can go to twenty percent. I don't, I don't, I don't play around down there, but yeah. you can, yeah, you can do it, especially based off the study that we're going to discuss. All right, if you we can go this low to twenty percent, let's hear about this study. Okay. Because I feel like it's going to clarify some things with light and heavy. And I'm going to wager you're going to talk about some research this guy named Brad Schoenfeld did, right? Yeah. He's your boy. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know if he's my boy. I've never met him or anything. I'd like he, to meet him sometime. He's like your academic mind boy. Yes. I would say that is very accurate. There's a couple guys that I are. There's a couple researchers I hold in very high regard. Yeah. And he's uh, certainly. All right. Let's hear about this study that I'm pretty sure is kind of odd and weird. But as it's described, as I know you're going to describe it. Yeah. Seems totally reasonable. Yes. I think that's a really good way to put it. So they take a group of individuals and. You know, they test like a one rep max on the left side, one rep max on the right side. It was like elbow flexion and press or something. Or it was elbow flexion and then leg press. And so they tested. Can you clarify elbow flexion? So like, like a bicep curl. A bicep curl. So, yeah. So they test this and uh, elbow flexion, bicep curl, and they tested the unilateral leg press to establish a one, max, one rep max. And they do it in the beginning of the trial. Six weeks after it commences, and then 12 weeks at the end of the trial. How often do they train each week? I want to say it was twice a week. All right, so they tested at zero training days, 12 training days, and 24 training days. Correct. Okay. It could be three, but I'm pretty sure it was 12, or I'm pretty sure it was two. All right, well, then that would be what? 18 and 36? yeah, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it was two days a week. And what they would do is they would have – they took these groups and they said, okay, we're going to measure your cross-sectional area of your muscle. Okay. We're going to measure the size. So that's going to tell us the size of it. We're going to test it again. So it's going to tell us how much strength it's gained. And then like there was, you know, one other test off the top of my head. I don't remember. I know those, those are essentially the two most important things. Um, I think though there was like a power output from the, from the leg, from the leg press. But what, it, what they saw, okay, so when they, they took this, they said, okay, you're going to get 100%, okay, here on your test. Now, this group, let's say there's 10 people, they're going to do curls and leg presses at 20% of their On max, one side of the body. On one side, okay? On the other side, they have the control. Uh, 
of they might do like 80% or 60%, whatever it is. Depending on the group. Yeah, depending so on if the we group. Have, say we have three groups. Yeah, Earl's going to do a better job explaining We this. have three groups. Yep. So 10 people in each group. Yep. Every single group, one side of the body will be trained at 20%. Yes. And then the other side. One group will do 40% on the other side. One group will do 80. One group, one group will, will do 60. 60. Yep. And how would they determine the reps since they're changing the so percentage they would take the everybody would do 20 percent, like you mentioned which you were thinking more linear linearly i was thinking all over the place because i just wanted to talk about this yeah. study and i couldn't focus so if i did 20 percent on my left arm and i did 90 reps and i was doing 60 percent on my right arm i would still do 90 reps and that would go for 80% and 40%. Everything across the so board was the equal. Volume the volume was, was equal. equal. And okay. that's where the point of control is so important because people like me who are scatterbrained would say, let's test this versus this. But then they wouldn't equate the volume or they wouldn't equate the intensity. Yeah. In this case, they're not equating the intensity, but they're equating the volume because they want to see what the intensity does to those tests, which were cross-sectional muscle area and power output or strength. So now they can see 20%, 20%, 20%, 40, 20%, 60, 20%, 80% spread across All these right, groups. All right, so what was the comparison then? Like, did 20%, let's start, did 20% get these people bigger muscles? Yes. Did it make them stronger? Yes. All right. So there was gains using 20% that way. Yeah. How did 40, did, I'm going to assume then 40, 60, and 80% did the same thing. They got all got stronger. stronger. They all got all bigger. Right. So talk about if I don't what got people stronger and how much stronger if it I think, did or bigger. Yeah, I so so I think that's the interesting one is, you know, everybody sort of jumps to conclusions right away and you're wanna you wanna figure out like, oh my gosh, what what is it? And for me, I wanted to, to see the study for a couple different reasons. One, because I wanted to look at, you know, when people are traveling, what, what can we do to maintain strength and whatnot. Um, but also for longevity, too. As you get older, you don't want to lift crazy heavy all the yeah. time. So what I ended up showing was 40%, you got bigger and stronger. 60%, bigger and stronger. 80%, bigger and stronger. Now, the interesting thing is that it ends up being all of these groups can get bigger and stronger no matter what okay that's so anybody who says that you can't get bigger and that's stronger, your big takeaway from this more so than because more so than 80 percent gets you way stronger 80 percent is the optimal range to get you stronger relative or compared to 60 40 and 20 when the volume is all the same when volume is equal oh yeah my big takeaways are one if you are lifting like, and this is like sort of a, a slight, not shock to me, but like slightly, I have to rethink some of my stuff just slightly. Um, a volume needs to be equated across the board, depending, you know, if you're really pushing and I would say in a comprehension phase, I would I'm going to try to go a little bit heavier at like 80% and keep the volume the same. Oh, your athletes are going to love <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah. So, and then when we go to the, when we go to the ascension phase, 
we're going to increase intensity and keep volume the same except for probably one week. So I'm going to play around with that. That was something I, I did want to talk to you about. So that was like my first big takeaway was like, we need to figure out the undulation for breaks and more so just for breaks, less so for those adaptations because we need to keep the, the volume sort of equal across the board. So the undulation will be intensity is where we're going to see undulation, but the volume might not change as much as it has in the past. Now the, it's still going to, to a point just for, because so am I hearing burned out. you want to try to parabolic between the 20, 40, 60, 80 instead of no more like 70, 80, 90. Okay. So that's my first big takeaway. My second big takeaway was we can get stronger across the board. So when we're traveling, it's not as imperative to have the best training situation. So, you know, but just to train. Yeah. Just get your freaking training done. Even to the point of, you know, you could do goblet squats and you've got to keep your volume up, you know, but you're still going to be able to have a response, uh, that, that helps with your power out maintenance. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, and, it, and in reality, it's probably not maintenance. It's actually, you're probably getting a little bit stronger, but let's just say you're getting 5% stronger versus 7% with, if, if you're it's training probably 80. more like 0.3%. Yes. But yeah, especially how your athletes who travel, how well trained they are. Yeah. So, so that's like the other big factor. Um, and then I also just think it's like, for me, it was looking at it like, when do we go 60? When do we use 80? When do we, you know, go 90? And I would like to see that study is like 90 is really heavy. Yeah. So what does that look like relative to 70 and 80? 20 by one on the minute. Right. And that's where it's, <laughs> that's where I think, you know, and, and you do, you know, a lot of people, now know that you can be hypertrophic in that range whereas yeah. before you know commonly it was not referred to as a hypertrophic range so i think there's a couple of big lessons i think the big thing for me though is just that uh volume is a very very important uh measurement and then also you can get strong no matter what so it also goes back to you know i had somebody that i train online that buys custom programs and they were you know just going off trying to make you know, well, this week I can only really work out for 15 minutes. All right, like, well, this yeah, is what you're do doing minutes. for 15 minutes. Yeah, like, dude, just go do this. It's it's better than Yeah, nothing. you're injured. Yeah. Go and train at 20%. Go walk up the, your, yeah. your hill backwards for 15 minutes. Like, I don't care. Make it happen. Yeah. So. All right, so what I heard, quick recap, heavyweights are better yep. if volume is across the board. Now, yep. we're not saying if you do crazy volume with lightweight and less volume with heavy, they don't equal out in some way. We don't know that. We didn't do yeah. that study. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's probably another study. And um, that's the one thing with Schoenfeld. He plans his his stuff out. It reminds me of our YouTube stuff. It's like he's planning this stuff out to see these results, to find results. And if this, then this. And if this, then that. And then it just fuels. Yeah, he has where he wants to go from what that one might yeah, yeah. or might not say based off his hypothesis. Yeah. And if you are traveling – Training light's going to get it done. If you're injured, training light will get it done. Yep. Like, it all helps. Let's yes. go to the audience questions. Let's go. YouTube community. Jack Lee. I'm a javelin thrower and I'm wondering what primary muscle groups in the upper body are used for throwing the jab. Also, any javelin specific lift exercises for the upper body? I feel like those could be found on the peak strength, like 
YouTube at some point. Well, Definitely yeah. on the app. Yeah. My bad. Wrong one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would say on the Peak Strength app, we have programming just for javelin throwers and then go there jackley yeah and then you know you go throws you we do have some stuff with throws you on javelin but you're gonna look at actually a little bit of pecs uh deltoid um lats quite a bit um also you've got to think about what what people here's a good example okay i feel like a good javelin looks like that spoon from was, the last episode right they like yeah. they do that bend and it just <laughs> think about when you were younger you're riding you're riding your bike right you're riding your bike hard you're and you're clowning around with your buddy you hit a curb and you go ass over 10 cups yeah. hard that's what a javelin is okay it's literally all it is it's just exactly what you just said build with up speed put on the brake and, and fire go. Yeah, so there's a lot of stretch on the triceps, a lot of stretch even on the bicep, into the forearm, all throughout the shoulder, all throughout the pec, all throughout the lats. There's a lot of force that goes into that whole shoulder girdle. Uh, I think the best upper body exercise you can do, if you're healthy, probably muscle-ups, pull-ups, heavy pull-ups, and also miracle grows, I believe, are the best upper body exercise. Otherwise, get fast and be strong. All right, this one's from the Discord. Keith... Kennegard. How would, should you program women's strength and conditioning from general strength and conditioning to the time around the period, any change in programming intensity and so on, to keeping the athlete as fit as possible during and after pregnancy so they can get back to the sport as fast as possible? So the pregnancy part is different from the menstruation. Yeah. Um, the pregnancy stuff is... Yeah, doesn't the one cancel out the other for nine months? Yeah. Yeah, a little more than nine months. So it's like, okay, so that would be a whole nother discussion. The first thing that I would say is general population individuals, you're going to notice that during the luteal phase, which is the second half of the of the menstruation, you might feel groggy. Uh, you might only want to do like two or three sets for like 15 to 20 reps. And it's sort of like a, a, for some people, it, it will only be a maintenance part you know you're not going to do a lot of work during that period because you don't have the energy uh you're you're starting to shed possibly as you get closer to menses so there's there's gonna be some of that you you don't feel that strong during menses which is when you're shedding the uterine lining people actually start to feel better they start to feel a, a little bit stronger and then during the follicular phase the first you know typically what you would think as two weeks I feel like i'm playing bloodborne yeah yeah <laughs> During the first two weeks, you're going to start to feel better and stronger and really, really strong right around like day 10 to 15 um, as as the egg drops. Now, the big thing, too, is that I've had and this is this is standard. Some women will menstruate on 20 to 22 days. Some women will menstruate for 32 days. So it's really, really dependent upon the individual. Some women feel horrible. Some women don't feel horrible at all. So it really comes down to you playing around with that. Now with world class athletes, there's not a lot that you can that you can do. And I and I and I mean this in the sense that when you're heading into a peak, you have to figure out how like I will look at, you know, when when is the calendar day? And about eight to ten weeks out, I'll start to talk to the athletes like, hey, when when are you gonna menstruate? Let's let's go through this so that we can figure out if more volume or less volume they play better or they compete better because there's undoubtedly going to be a point when they're going to compete when they're 
in mensis or when they're in the luteal phase or when they're in the follicular phase. It's going to happen and they have to be ready for that no matter what. So you've got to figure out through that communication. Now that's different. That's a different scenario from a uh, general population. And that has to be discussed as a part of training. That's a part of their adaptation. Right. We can't just pretend it's not there. Um, and I think one, I would say our YouTube channel has failed the female population in regards to that. Two, I believe that strength coaches in general have failed massively with this, uh, with this topic. Cause no one wants to talk about it. It's like, Oh no. Let's just pretend that they're little dudes. Uh, now, with pregnancy, it's different. The first trimester, people are going to be okay. They, they don't feel good. But when they're lifting, they're going to be fine. Uh, I would start to remove uh, direct ab exercises about 10 weeks of pregnancy. Um, You're going in. Yeah, and then and then once, you know, once after that first trimester, it's just sort of uh, that they should not be doing any flat benching or anything like that. Any of their upper upper body work should be on a slight incline. Uh, there's a nerve that can that can lead to like blacking out. Um, but you know, from 12, the second trimester, they can still lift hard, and they as long as they feel good and they're eating well and they're recovering well, then then they'll be okay. And if if they're comfortable with with whatever they're doing, they'll they'll be fine. If they feel safe, they'll be fine. Uh, but it's just being aware that sometimes if they are lifting really heavy, their blood pressure could go up, and you've just got to be cognizant of that. Nice. Yeah. That's all we got. All right. Until Lift next heavy time. Lift and heavy light. and light. Make sure you plan your travels. And if you're a female, talk to your strength coach about your menstruation. Peace. Later.